Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God, our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the, heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you in the same way. The gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You... You learnt it from Epaphras, our fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and pleases him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of, his, of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. In him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and, f- and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything we might have this, so in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all sorry, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you can continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, This is the gospel that you heard and that was proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you and I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but now is disclosed to God's people. To them, sorry, to them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one which we proclaim, administering and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Please 
Today, please keep that uh, reading open because I'm going to be referring to that over and again. This morning we begin four weeks looking at the book of Colossians and so, you know, quite often we come to church and we hear um, about uh, a particular issue that is of interest to us but uh, as we work through from chapter 1 to chapter 4 of Colossians, we're hearing what God thinks is of interest to us even if we hadn't thought we were interested in it before. <laughs> so it's an opportunity to understand this letter so you'll need to um, have it open because I'll be referring to it at time, uh, every now and again. And aren't you glad the, the chapter wasn't longer? It wouldn't have fitted on our sheet. It's just... <laughs> let, me, let me pray as we get underway today. Heavenly Father, we need to hear what you have to say to us today. Please help us to understand. Please help us to believe. Please help us to be transformed. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Our world is, in ever, is ever in restless motion. Not because... It's hurrying to get somewhere, because it, but, but because it's really got nowhere to go. Without a clear view of the future, human beings simply drift through life, bumped and buffeted this way and that way, by whatever cause that shouts at them the loudest, or by whatever activity is thrust upon them by those around them, just to fill in the empty time they've got to kill. Without a clear grasp of the future, Human beings are just empty vessels wanting to be filled up, wells without water. And this inner emptiness drives us all into the wrong places as we seek to find the fullness of life that we long for. As Paul puts it in another letter, without hope and without God in the world, we human beings are ever in restless motion. There is no need to drift aimlessly through a life with no direction, no purpose or meaning, no rest or peace or safety, no satisfaction, relaxation or joy. For there is a place that we can find rest. Remember the Lord Jesus himself said, Come to me, all you who are weary and troubled, and I will give you rest. Jesus takes us off the meaningless treadmill and, make, and makes us a people who are, are at rest and going somewhere truly significant. And as we start on our series on Colossians today, this letter will keep on asking us, are you on that peaceful journey to somewhere? Now, if I'm looking funny up here, I'm struggling with a new pair of glasses and I can't read my script. How about that? <laughs> Back to the optometrist next week. Okay. When we read Colossians, the Colossians opens, they are, they are people who've been moved by an alien suffering and we are moved by an alien, an alien suffering as well. Let me explain. In this letter, Paul and his sidekick, Timothy, write to the Colossians, by the will of God, Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles whose name, the Apostle of Christ, whose name is Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the long-awaited Jewish King, has sent him into the world as the Apostle to the Gentiles. And here he writes to the Colossians in verse 2, um, if you look on your sheet, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Now, really, there are two groups of people here. It's obscured a little bit by our English versions. 
two groups of people, not just one. He writes to those whom he calls the saints. And this is a technical term for Paul. That is, the saints are believers from a Jewish background. And he also writes to the brothers and sisters, that is, the believers who are from a Gentile background. Gentiles, non-Jews. So there's two groups of people here, two different kinds of believers. Now, Paul has never been to Colossae. He's never met the, the Colossians personally, as we'll see in chapter 2, verse 1. He has heard about them through Epaphras, as we see here in verses 7 to 8, a little bit further down. Epaphras is a Colossian himself, and, and, uh, he's, and he's reported what's gone on in his sit home city. And Paul likes what he has heard. And so now he writes to the Colossians. And he also writes to others like them. We'll see in chapter 2, verse 1, that he wants the Laodiceans down the road from Colossae to also re read what he's written. But because Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles, he writes to all Gentiles anywhere at any time. In other words, he writes even to you and I today. Because Paul is our apostle, if you're a Gentile, that is a non-Jew, then Paul is your apostle. He gave his life for us. Now Paul, uh, look down to verse 24, we're going to the end of the, chap the chapter now. Paul rejoices, he says, I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in, all, in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among, among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He rejoices to be suffering for Christ's people. And this is what it's meant for him as the apostle to the Gentiles, to suffer for others. Now, throughout the Old Testament period, uh, the Jews thought that God was just about them, not for the Gentiles. He was for the Jews, but not for the Gentiles. But throughout that period, God was keeping a great secret. And now, with the coming of Jesus Christ, that secret has been no made known to the saints in verse 26. Again, that technical term for the Jewish believers, like Paul. The secret has now been revealed, and there's the secret in verse 27. To them, to the saints, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, this secret, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ, the Jewish King, the Messiah, in you, that is you Colossian Gentiles, Christ, the Jewish Messiah, has crossed that ancient barrier into the Gentile world and Christ is now in you. And because Christ is in you, Gentiles, you also share in the hope of glory. You can share in the hope of a glorious future because of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. This is what Paul suffered for and he rejoiced to do so. And this raises the question, why would this stranger this alien to the Colossians, this person who is an alien to them, an outsider to their Gentile culture, coming in as a Jew, why would this Jew, an alien to us, to we Gentiles, why would he so gladly 
suffer for us. Well, Paul suffered for us because he was the apostle to the Gentiles by the will of God, sent by the risen Christ. But again, look in verse 24. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. Paul suffered because Christ suffered for us first. And somehow Paul's sufferings are a continuation of Jesus' sufferings for us. The Christ comes to us, to us Gentiles, from outside our natural environment. He is an alien and a stranger to us, and yet he suffered for us so that we too might have a glorious future, the hope of glory. And this too is a hope that is not natural to us. We are moved by an alien hope. Paul thanks God for the Colossians, and he has been thanking God for them ever since he first heard about their response to hearing about the hope of glory. Verse 3, we always thank God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel. That's how you get hold of this hope. In the ancient world, you see idols, but you hear about the living God. It's a different sense. You hear about God, the living God, and you hear about this hope. And the Colossians had heard about it. It comes from outside of us. It is alien to us. It comes to us when we hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And when the Colossians heard about this hope, it transformed their lives. They put their trust in Jesus Christ and after centuries of hostility between Gentiles and Jews, these Gentiles even began to love all the saints, the Jewish believers who told them about the great secret of God and brought them the gospel of hope. And this message of hope is already working in its transformative power, not only in them, but as we read on a bit further, all over this world in verse 6, wherever it's been believed, and this gospel of hope continues, has continued down through the centuries to transform lives as well, and it continues to do so today. In fact, it's the only thing that ultimately can transform human beings in a lasting way. And notice too that this hope is not simply their sub, the, the Colossians' subjective experience of hoping for something. Verse 5 shows us it's an objective thing. That is something that's outside of us. It is stored up in heaven for you. Now, I don't know what your family is like. You might have a very wealthy relative and you might know that you've got, they've already put you in their will and you're going to inherit a fortune once they shuffle off this mortal coil. You might be hoping for that day in a very nice way to your relative, of course, you see. But let me tell you, your subjective hope is not the thing that matters. I can hope all I like to inherit a fortune. If I don't have that wealthy relative who've got me in their will, my hope is irrelevant. It's the inheritance itself that is the hope that makes a difference. And here we see that this hope that we have is objective. It's already laid up in heaven for us, stored up in heaven for us. That is the secret 
that has been revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We Gentiles have heard about the hope that we can now have in Christ. And this hope needs wisdom. That's why Paul prays in the verses that follow, verses 9 to 11. He prays that the Colossians might be filled with wisdom. This hope requires the wisdom that comes from God. It requires the knowledge of God's will. It requires the understanding of the Spirit of God. The wisdom from above brings about a further transformation of life so that our lives become lives that please God in every way and are filled with good actions with a further growth in the knowledge of God. And look at the result of such a transformation of life. Verse 11, as this prayer is answered, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. When we hear about a prayer for power, I wonder where your mind goes. And it seems to be a bit of a letdown that the power of God comes into our life so that we might endure patiently as we wait for our hope that still lies ahead of us. We need God's wisdom and transformation of life so that we might endure, so that we might be able to patiently wait for the future day when we enter into that inheritance that Christ has already won for us. And make, but make no doubt about it, have no doubt about it. Even though we are not there yet, our hope is the only hope that is sure in this world. And why is it sure? Well, there it is in verse 12. As we go through life, enduring patiently, giving th- joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of, his, of the saints in the kingdom of light. Our inheritance has been given to us by God, the Father. It doesn't come from anything we have done or anything we will do. It is alien to us, comes from outside of us. And as Gentiles, it is even more alien to us. At least the Jews had heard about it before. But we were outside without hope, without God in this world. But now we read that God has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints. He has done something for us so that we might live forever. And that brings us to another thing that has happened outside of us, apart from us, not under our control, not of our doing, alien to us, something that has already been, already happened. We have already been moved by an alien saviour. And here we get to the core of this chapter that um, Colin's already opened up for us very well already. Nothing about our rescue depended upon us. Even in human life, inheritance is not earned, it is just given. And this future hope that we have comes from our alien saviour. God has given us this future because of Jesus Christ. He has rescued us in the cross and he will rescue us for the future. There is absolutely no doubt about this at all. So many things could happen between now and then as we endure in this world of suffering. But there's absolutely no doubt about our future at all because the future in the end doesn't depend upon us. It doesn't depend upon what we do, upon how spiritual we might feel, about about how spiritually dry we might be, or 
about how spiritually wet we might be, whatever that might mean. You see. It has nothing to do with us at all. It is alien to us. Our future is absolutely secure because of what Jesus has already done and because of who Jesus already is. In verse 15 to 20, we have this magnificent hymn to the greatness of Jesus Christ. It deserves a lifetime of thought and meditation and reflection and thanksgiving, but we can only give, pass over it far too quickly this morning. But here in verses 15 to 20, Paul is saying, look at who Jesus really is. Look at who brought you redemption in the first place. And if you understand who he is, then you will understand why your hope is absolutely secure. If you see Jesus truly, then you will have the confidence to know that your hope is kept in heaven for you, there for the taking one day after we endure the sufferings of this world. Jesus Christ, the man upon the cross, is the rightful heir of the universe. Look at verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And the firstborn is the one who inherits everything. It's an inheritance term. He is the one who is the heir of all creation. The whole world properly belongs to him. The future properly belongs to him. Now Paul then explains more about why this is so, why we can call him the firstborn of all creation. It is because he is both the maker and the mover. Verse 16, he's the maker. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on things on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers authority or authorities. All things have been created through him, and notice, because he's, they've been created through him, they've been created for him. He's the heir of all things. He's also not just the maker, but he's the mover. Verse 17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the one who existed before everything. And in him, everything holds together. He is the glue of the universe. He is the one who keeps the cosmos going. He is the one who is moving everything towards the future that he already owns. There is no future unless Jesus Christ takes this world to that future. He is the one for whom all things exist. And this means he's the master as well. And this has been demonstrated in human his history in the greatest event of all. Verse 18, he's the head of the church, the church, the, his body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. When Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he showed that he, was, he had the supremacy in the universe, just like he was there at the beginning of this creation. When he rose from the dead, he was there at the beginning of the new creation. He is the firstborn, the heir of the new creation. And notice the position that he enjoys in the church now, recognised to be the head, he, he, he will enjoy forever, as in everything he might have the supremacy. To sum it all up, Paul says in verse 19, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Whatever it means to be God... That is Jesus Christ. Whatever it means to be God in all his fullness, that is Jesus Christ. 
And this is all demonstrated at one key moment in human history when, when Jesus shows himself to be the peacemaker. Verse 20. Through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. On the cross is where we see Jesus Christ displaying all the fullness of God in a strange paradox. When he is most weak, that is when he is most strong. When it seems like he's been defeated, that's where he's having his moment of great victory. When on the cross all the forces of the cosmos that threaten to take away any future we might have, our sin, the devil, death itself, on the, on the cross, Jesus defeated them all. And with the battle already won for us by Jesus Christ, the peace is already secured. Then with Jesus on our side, the future is also secured. It is this hope that's laid up in heaven for us. God, the peacemaker, through the blood of his cross. Now, what a hymn of praise it is in these verses in, for God, in God, about God the Son. If that is who Jesus is and that is who we have found, then the logic is clear. Our future is secure. And we are, if we are sensible, then we would be someone who's never moving again, which is where Paul gets to in verses 21 to 23. If we move anywhere else, we're moving away from the best, from the supreme, away from God and so away from anything, any real and lasting hope in this world, we would be moving backwards to move anywhere away from Jesus Christ. And so as we endure to the end with all the wisdom of the Spirit and the power of God filling us with patience and joy, we need to always remember our before and our after. The before is gone. And the after is now here. Look at the before in verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. Alienated from God, enemies of God due to our evil behaviour. But if we are in Christ, where all the fullness of God is pleased to dwell, then that before has been done away with through the blood of the cross. And that means that the after is now here. Verse, 12, verse um, uh, 22. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. To be reconciled means that those who used to be enemies have become God's friends. Because Jesus died for us on the cross, all our sins have been forgiven. We are now justified before God. And on the future judgment day, we will be treated as if we are free from accusation. Innocent, just, because, just, because, just as if we'd never been enemies of God in the first place. And so Paul sums it all up for us in a beautiful conclusion. Verse 23. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope that is held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to you every, to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. To put it in other words, he wants us to stay where you are, to get where you will certainly be. 
Paul suffered to bring us the gospel of Christ. Christ suffered to bring us forgiveness of sin so that we can have the hope that the gospel tells us about, the hope that is laid up in heaven for us, an absolutely certain future won by the death of Jesus Christ in whom dwells all the fullness of God. He is the maker, the sustainer, the master of this world and the one who owns the future and he has chosen to share his inheritance with us. Yes, we are still in this suffering world, but now we have a secure future. Yes, as believers in Jesus Christ, we will suffer as aliens and strangers in this world, but we have a certain place in the world to come. And in the meantime, we have a place to stand that is safe and secure, firmly trusting in the promises of God that Christ has won the future already and he has given us a place in the world to come. We need to be resting firmly in him. That is the only direction we need. We can endure by staying where we are to get where we most certainly will be. And let's pray that all of us are doing that this week and in the weeks to come. Heavenly Father, I thank you very much for your word. Thank you for the hope that's laid up in heaven for us. Please give us that wisdom that helps us to keep moving forward to that great and glorious day. Amen.